Kia ora everyone and welcome to this episode of the Windows on Dementia podcast. My name's Etu Ma'u, I'm a old age psychiatrist based out of the University of Auckland um, and I'm really excited today to be hosting um, this podcast with Professor Lynette Tippett, also University of Auckland, who's a professor of psychology and it's going to be around risk reduction, particularly following the release of the World Alzheimer's Report 2023 in September whose focus was on reducing dementia risk, never too early, never too late. And as some of you may know, Lynette launched this report on behalf of Alzheimer's New Zealand um, at their recent event in September on repositioning dementia, let's get real. As a really brief uh, biography, Lynette's a leader in neuropsychology and dementia matiwariwari research. Um, she's the National Director of the Dementia Prevention Research Clinics, and you may also recognize her from the TV show, The Restaurant That Makes Mistakes. Um, thank you all for joining us today, and thank you, Lynette, for joining. So, Lynette, the first question I have for you today is, given the report's just come out on reducing risk, what are some of your key takeaways from that report? And the follow-up question to that is, is any of the information in this report actually new? Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the name of the report uh, is uh, Reducing your, your Risk Never Too Early and Never Too Late. And I think that name is one of the key take-home messages, that there are ways to reduce your dementia risk that begin in childhood and continue all through life. Uh, so that's one uh, key message I think that's really important. They identified the same 12 risk factors that we've known about for some time, um, but they do it in a much more nuanced way. And I think that uh, what they're focused on is facts such as modifying lifestyle and other risk factors is not easy. We're very good at saying uh, change your diet, uh, stop drinking, um, stay mentally active, look after your heart. But this report acknowledges that modifying lifestyle and other risk factors is not easy and helps people find ways that they might do it. And it might be changing one little thing at a time. Another key message is hearing loss, one of the modifiable risk factors uh, the risk for this can definitely be reduced or eliminated by getting a hearing aid and wearing it. So for people who have acquired hearing loss, then you can reduce your risk uh, simply if you are able to afford it by getting hearing aids and wearing them. Um, there were three other points I think are important. Not all risk factors can be addressed individually. So communities and government have to address issues related to the environment, to healthcare access, uh, to poverty, to food security. So not all risks can be addressed by a single individual. And some risks are not modifiable at all. We, we are born as females, we, if we are females, and that's a risk factor. We all age, and age is the biggest risk factor for dementia. And we are born with our genes, which plays a small part. So 
if you develop dementia, it's not your fault that you have dementia. Not all risks are modifiable. Um, and the last point that I think is really important is that risk reduction doesn't end at the diagnosis point. Like we think about risk reduction as about uh, trying to prevent or delay the onset of dementia, and that's certainly what risk reduction is focused on. But this report highlights that people with dementia uh, can implement healthy lifestyle changes in the same kind of a way and reduce the risks or address those risk factors and that can also slow the progression of dementia. So it, reducing the risk applies right across uh, the life, lifespan. One follow-up question, Lynette. You've talked a bit about these 12 modifiable risk factors. What about other factors that people talk about, like vision or your diet or things that don't appear in these 12? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, this report does actually touch on vision and uh, it's quite likely, the evidence isn't as strong yet, but that vision also is a sense that uh, if you lose, if you can be, if you're losing your vision, you may also be at higher risk of dementia, but it's not, the evidence isn't quite there yet. And But we think some of this is around um, the fact that people may have to work harder. They might be under more cognitive load to uh, actually be able to, to cope in their environment. So they may be under more stress and their brain's under more stress. Um, and it may, sometimes it, reduces the amount of social interaction that people have as well. Probably less than hearing, because hearing is particularly socially isolated, uh, but it is still being looked at as a factor. Um, so that that's one. And diet's an interesting one, because um, of those 12 risk factors, quite a number are to do with, uh, or related actually, to heart health as well, things such as um, blood pressure, things such as obesity, diabetes, um, lack of physical exercise, smoking. They're related to heart health, heart health. And we know that for heart health, having a good lifestyle um, includes having a healthy diet. And in fact, nine of the 12 risk factors relate uh, to the body, to physical health. And so although... Um, diet isn't mentioned as a specific, you know, risk factor. Uh, there's certainly evidence that's highlighted in this report about how having, you know, high levels of fiber, fruit and vegetables, and unprocessed food, um, combined with kind of exercise and avoiding head injuries and so on, that that does make a difference. But what they're saying is it's about a a dietary pattern rather than about, you know, focusing on a single thing, you know. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of news about blueberries um, a few years ago, and blueberries were going to fix everything. Um, in fact, you know, when people focus on that, they don't kind of focus on the fact you need to eat, you know, like a hundred blueberries a day to make any difference at all. So, the message in this report. Uh, it's written really nicely, is about your overall food uh, pattern of consumption. Yeah, I think your 
message about unprocessed food is a really good one. You know, I hear my wife, for example, talk about knowing the papa of your food. And the shorter the line is between your food and tracing it back to its source, and if you can actually trace it back, you know, the better it probably is for you. Because a lot of these additives and other things that we, you know, have in our processed foods are the ones that we don't actually know about. Yeah, I really like that, Edgar. I really like that. What would your comment be on people that have already started experiencing, you know, changes in their cognition or, you know, subjective cognitive decline or starting to think that actually the changes have started happening in their brain? Are these kind of approaches still relevant? Uh, yes, I think the evidence, I think what this report says and what the evidence says is that there are factors that are definitely still relevant to address, even if you're starting to experience those changes. Um, a, a number of these changes, you know, they might promote some of these risk factors. So like I can mention social isolation and depression, for example. Now, these are things that um, they happen more, they, people might be surprised to know that they do happen more in older adults uh, for a number of factors, but they definitely are also a risk for dementia. People get concerned about their cognition, but worried that they're not quite as crisp as they were or that they're having some problems. They might also naturally kind of back away a bit from social interactions because they're worried about maybe saying something silly or not not forgetting it. And I think what the evidence shows is maintaining that social interactions and social connection is um, really helpful for uh, kind of maintaining where you are in terms of those uh, problems and uh, either either preventing or definitely slowing any uh, progression or worsening of the problems. So all those, um, you know, healthy lifestyle factors about um, being connected, exercising well, eating a good diet, they are as important when you are developing problems as they are, you know, earlier in your life. One of the things that you touched on, Lynette, a bit earlier was talking about the post-diagnostic supports and about what we can do when people have a diagnosis of dementia and what they can do and what their families can do and organizations can do to, as you've talked about, you know, maintain their functioning for as long as possible or potentially slow that trajectory of decline. Um, do you have any comments on that about what we can possibly do? Well, I think that there's pretty clear evidence now that maintaining um, cognitive, what I call cognitive stimulation, and that's the name of a package actually, but it's about being um, active and engaged in um, mental, you know, exercises, um, discussing the news, uh, trying new things, um, having conversations that uh, are stimulating. Um, being engaged in maybe creative activities. These things make a difference to um, the, it certainly makes a difference to the quality of life. 
it makes a difference, we think, as well, to the speed of progression for a number of people. Now, I think one of the really interesting things that's coming out is around the impact of having a purpose in life. And often um, people, once they've had a diagnosis of dementia, they, and sometimes their families, kind of feel like, well, that's it, really. And and that that can be associated with a, you know, with a loss of purpose. And you, you mentioned, um, somewhat embarrassingly, you mentioned my role in that, uh, that series, The Restaurant That Makes Mistakes. So this involved a group of people with dementia of different sorts, and they um, worked, they were taken in and trained to work in different roles in a restaurant where they were actually serving meals to customers coming in. And I, I was actually, if I'm absolutely honest, pretty anxious uh, going into this because this was a range of people with a, a range of uh, difficulties. And I found it just um, uplifting to watch these people grow and respond during this time. Now, it's not that there weren't a lot of challenges for them, but that really that sense of purpose, they were in this joint endeavor, they were doing something meaningful, a meaningful kind of activity that had an outcome, you know, providing food and serving food to people. That just lifted that whole group in so many in so many ways and I, I think the the sense of purpose was a really important part of that and that's what we have to find a way to maintain for people uh, post-diagnosis. I mean I like the fact that you focused on purpose Lynette because if I reflect on you know people that have had dementia in my family or just looking at um, people of dementia and families that I know or that I work with in my clinical um, uh, sphere, we have a tendency to take purpose away from people. Um, people of dementia start to lose the ability to do things and our natural response is to take over. Mm. Um, and it sounds like what you're saying is actually work with them with what they can do so that they can continue their functioning as best they can. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I, I think that, you know, this is something for families or, or caregivers, but it's also um, a challenge for our society because we could be focusing much more on providing dementia-friendly environments and spaces for, uh, so that people with dementia are more able to be part of the uh, environment, that there's an acceptance and, and support as needed, but that they don't have to feel if they're going into a shop that they're going to be humiliated because they're slow with dealing with payment. There are a whole lot of really um, uh, simple things can be put in place that come from education, from uh, about what, about what people, how people can support people with dementia, about addressing the stigma associated with that word, about making the environment friendly. So I think as um, family members and caregivers, we can help with that sense of purpose. 
but I think also at a broader community and society level, we can also facilitate that by addressing those factors. So if there's a carer sitting at home at the moment listening to this podcast, what kind of practical tips would you give for them about you know, a dementia-friendly environment in the home as to how they approach the person with dementia or what they can do to kind of, you know, create that sense of purpose or create a more fulfilling um, environment for them? Well, I think one thing is, um, would be to think quite a lot about the kinds of things that person has always liked contributing in the context of the whānau, the family, the home environment? What do they, or have they always enjoyed? And what can, how could you make that person still be able to, to complete or be part of that task? You know, so for some people, it, it will be around cooking. It, they may have been the person who provided the food for the family. And they may not be, you know, cooking's pretty complex, actually. Um, but so they may not be able to do all that, but they may still be very capable of being involved in food preparation, of um, doing tasks that relate to the provision of food. And for some people, that that will be really important. Um, other people, it might be uh, to do with things outside. You know, they might have uh, been a gardener, and again, gardening. There's a lot of planning and there's a lot of knowledge around seasons and plants that goes into that. But with a small amount of support, they may very well be able to continue to do that. So I think it's about thinking about what your family member has always loved to do and loved to contribute and thinking about how it might be possible to support them to do even part of that um, task. Uh, that they previously would have, you know, done. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, tailoring um, things that they can do to the level of ability that they have so that they can still participate in it and get a sense of accomplishment from it without feeling overwhelmed by mm. the enormity of the task or feeling, mm. you know, embarrassed or depressed because they can't function like they know they used to. That's right. It, it is that fine. It is that fine balance. Um, I think, you know, why think about reading in this report, there was a section on, um, there were a lot of examples of, of different communities around the world and different things they were doing and different challenges. But there was a section around some of the communities where uh, people live for a very long time. So the longevity uh communities and some of these are in Japan and it, it was interesting to read about Japan which is um, an enigma in some ways because dementia there does have a stigma as it does in our country but what they have is thousands of dementia friendly cafes scattered throughout the country um, in which people sometimes people with dementia are working there or sometimes they're just cafes that are known to be um, friendly and available for people with dementia to come to themselves and to use. And there are some, uh, there were some small communities in some of the smaller islands where 
maybe because longevity is such, you know, people live such a long time. There are a lot of very old people living in those communities. And as a result, there are, are quite a few people with dementia. But they've always been so much part of the community. Older adults have been so much part of the community, the social fabric, the activities that the community are involved in, that that is just maintained for people with dementia. They come, they still come to all those social activities. They mightn't be able um, to do all the games that they used to do, but they can still dance, they can still talk, they can still interact, and they're part of it. And um, so, again, I, I come back to our society needing to find ways where that's possible. And I, I think in New Zealand, you know, certainly there are cultural differences, and some cultures already do this incredibly well um, in, in Maori culture, they um, people who are connected, you know, with their local marae or even just in a large extended whānau, they seem to know very well the importance of maintaining the mana of their family member with dementia and of having them involved in the tasks that they've always been involved in, of having them be part of, of the groups. And I know in uh, Pacifica communities as well, there's um, often a much it's almost seems to be part of the fabric of the culture that older people are facilitated to be to live the best life they can. Um, so we have models of it in New Zealand, and I'd love to see it be something that was extended more broadly in our communities. No, absolutely. And I think we can take you know the positives from how other cultures approach things and you know, hopefully upscale those to a society-wide approach. So finally, Lynette, as we start wrapping up, talking about society and society kind of inextricably links with government in the end, that we've just had a change of government. We know that a lot of these modifiable risk factors for dementia cluster around social disadvantage. They cluster around deprivation, that people who, you know, are less financially well off or are you know, are more deprived or live in more deprived areas, have a higher risk of having many of these risk factors and therefore a higher risk of dementia. What would you want to say to the incoming government about what you'd like to see them target or think about when it comes to risk reduction for things like dementia? I think you've uh, touched on an incredibly important point for New Zealand at this uh, point of our history. Um, there's really good evidence that widening inequality means a really unequal distribution of risk. That's just what you've said, that people in, who are living in, with lower incomes or in poverty, um, they, they experience a whole range of life stresses and risk factors that increase their risk. I think this means that uh, the government really has to make uh, poverty reduction uh, in a huge uh, priority, um, that we have to think really carefully about policies that increase the wealth of some at, uh, but don't address the poverty of other communities. Um, and so 
I would like the government to be thinking about those factors and the policies they're putting in, that they're not, um, they don't just have an effect on, you know, making business more effective. Um, but if you put in policies that do that, which do not address poverty and inequity, you are putting at risk um, increasingly large uh, parts of the community. For, you're putting them at risk of uh, developing dementia uh, later. And so I'd like them to, to keep that uh, front of mind. I'd like them to think about factors such as food security and access to healthy, unprocessed food in all communities. Um, it shouldn't be just something that the wealthy people can afford. It should be available, and there might be lots of novel ways of increasing community accessibility to fresh and healthy foods. But I think it's really important from childhood through to uh, older age. Um, and I'd like them to just be um, thinking about, I suppose, getting in, in, involved in uh, risk reduction education uh, that's accessible to all and understanding that this is a lifelong challenge for people, but it will, in the end, it will have the dividends of reducing um, the prevalence and incidence of dementia it will reduce the strain on the healthcare system. It will reduce the strain on whānau and, and individuals. So it's a really worthwhile investment. No, absolutely. I think investment is such a key word because if we think about the role of things like Alzheimer's New Zealand, Dementia New Zealand, um, in advocating for people with dementia, you've talked about the fact that these risk reduction strategies will reduce the number of people with dementia. And it's important that we highlight to the government that actually the associated societal cost from less people with dementia is going to result in significant savings. And maybe that's the message they need to hear. <laughs> maybe that's a very good message. And actually, you know, these organisations have, along uh, with the Matamari uh, Advisory Group, they've put together a fantastic dementia action plan. It, the plan is there that... Uh, they could implement and and uh, uh, take some credit for the investment in that plan and really reap excellent rewards. Absolutely. Now, Lynette, we're almost out of time. So is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you'd like to mention before we wrap up? Um, yes. One of the things that uh, I'm frequently asked is, you know, what should people, this is especially for uh, older people, what what should they be doing to keep their mental abilities going? So should they be doing crosswords? Should they be um, doing brain training of memory and so on? You know, what's the best uh, thing that they they could do to help um, their brain? So and, and this report's got some uh, interesting comments on this um, and looked at some interesting findings and. I think I would say that um, one of the most important things is to challenge yourself with something new. So 
the gains seem to come not so much from repeating the same thing and getting very good at that, but from being challenged at something that is constantly requiring you to uh, to learn, to adapt, to be flexible. Um, and this might be, well, it can be different things for different people. Certainly, uh, we know that um, learning a new language challenges your brain in many ways. It's memory, it's words, it's sounds, it's what it looks like. Uh, we know that engaging in, uh, in dance and kapahaka and things that require coordination between mind and physical um, body actions or that require creativity, um, they seem to have more benefits than just, you know, focusing on um, training of a single uh, factor. So activities that uh, are multi-layered, so require lots of things, um, and also activities that involve, also include social interaction, seem to be absolutely the peak when it comes to having um, effects. So there, I would say there are definitely things you can do, but just think of that challenge, to challenge yourself with something new and that stretch you um, rather than just mastering a single skill. I think that's very good advice. So thank you for your time today, Lynette. It's been great to have you on and to hear more about risk reduction. You know, I think the take-home message for me really is um, an active body and an active mind and continuing to challenge yourself um, and a healthy body and a healthy mind. And I really like what you touched on earlier, which I want to end on, was about, you know, making sure that people with dementia um, have a sense of purpose, that their community is involved and that we maintain their sense of identity. Um, and finally, from me, um, I know there's a lot of talk about things like, you know, genetics and, you know, a family history of dementia. We know that genetics is actually quite a small proportion of people with dementia. And there was a great study that came out a couple of years back that showed that in people who had a genetic risk of dementia, but lived a healthy lifestyle, their risk was actually lower than people who didn't have any genetic risk of developing dementia, but lived an unhealthy lifestyle. And I think the, for me, the important take on point from there is that genes are not the only problem. And if we can address how we're living, like this report says, um, and address some of these modifiable risk factors, um, we're well on our way to reducing our risk of dementia and the burden of dementia on you know, society um, and the costs associated with that. Um, so if you're listening and you're worried about yourself or someone you know, um, you know, please reach out to your local Alzheimer's Society or your Dementia Matewarewari organization, and they can provide you more information and more support. And just remember, you know, it's never too early, it's never too late. Ngā mihi, thank you. <laughs>